you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. The Around the NFL Podcast. Likes Dirty Motel Rooms. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, coming to you from a city filled with heroes in bunkers. Mark Sessler, Greg Rosenthal, what is up, boys? Hey, now. Now. What is that code for? What, like, who? Which one of us actually enjoys a dirty hotel room? I, I, I believe that's a reference to your Airbnb uh, addiction. But I guess you established, you know, rather clearly or clearly enough that it wasn't you weren't living in squalor in these um, establishments during COVID. You were, in fact, finding a um, a fairly nice Airbnb home. But the initial bit was that it was a motel with mm. flies and fleas and stains. Yeah, I mean, those feel like the good old days right now. So, the, Mark's favorite Airbnbs are the ones he gets for Simone and, and the kids. He gets to leave without him. <laughs> what, what a job by Mark. Excuse me. Mark excuse pulls me. off the most amazing things. Uh, that's a Can nice just, comment I'm not from a man whose wife goes to set up for a, like 45 it was, days. It was just a setup. Greg, just Greg a, if we yeah, weren't dealing with tea. like your, your wife leaves for like like every during the regular season, she leaves for like six weeks. Don't two, I mean it's half, you know yeah. you know that's under advertised. It's always Mark's you, doing all this adventurous stuff. Please, Simone is a wonderful woman, and I uh, you know we share a bond being exactly the same age that will go on forever. Uh, but you are so fortunate, Mark. As I've said to you many times, both privately and publicly, you're a lucky man to have her. That you were able to send Simone and the two boys off last weekend uh, for a, a lakeside adventure uh, while you had the house to yourself. This is, Mark. Th- you have to understand this is unprecedented uh, setups going on in your family that none of us are privy to. And I just want to say, like, good for you, man. It's a nice. Well, thing. yeah. I mean. Good search. Number one, like it. Apparently, we are privy to. I've just notified you that someone's <laughs> wife leaves for six weeks a year. So it's like you know, it's it, it, with the children, and it's a, a wonderful journey for them to to be part of another culture for a while. I'm sure, but uh, you know, my children were part of nature for a couple of days, which is a very nice thing for them to experience. 
That's nice and, to be able to get know, out of the house. Was by the way, spent most of the weekend with Ali Bonpari writing like a, you know, some endless piece for him. So, you know, it, it, would, it wasn't exactly Ali a Bonpari, total getaway. Of course, our um, editor for features here at NFL yeah. Media. Hey, um, in other news, I'm looking right now down at my phone. L.A. County extends its curfew for a fourth day, this time from 9 p.m. until 5 a.m. Uh, protests are continuing both in Los Angeles and uh, the looting, which, you know, is a, a terrible thing in its own right. And uh, that is seems like it has waned a little bit, which is great. Uh, hopefully that continues to trail off. And the, the message of the protests is what uh, remains in the forefront. Ricky Hollywood, uh, you uh, you took to the streets yesterday, right? I did. Yeah, I went out um, and marched, marched about three miles yesterday in Hollywood. It was it was a pretty crazy sight. It was really cool, though. Um, There were police on every corner. You know, they had thousands of zip ties hanging off their their, you know, belts. But there were a lot of people in masks and gloves. There were side, you know, bystanders that were handing out water bottles. They had Gatorade jugs filled with water, like fill up your water bottles here. They had hand sanitizer. People were yelling, take care of each other. Um, So many different races and walks of life and and different types of people. And it was it was really it, it gave me goosebumps. So it was a uh, type of setting where it it didn't feel dangerous didn't feel like there was chaos around you it was uh, the type of peaceful protest that that we're all hoping to see yeah the curfew is sort of you know put in place you know to make sure that people are off the street so as soon as that like four o'clock bell hit there you know people started to say they're starting to arrest they're they're cornering people to arrest people so got out of there um kind of quickly but, um, you know, it, it was it was good and peaceful when when I was there, for sure. And, uh, you know, the NFL, obviously the America's most popular sport and it's a league populated by a black majority on the field. And, and we're hearing this week from so many players, so many players across the league, but also from coaches and owners uh, in the aftermath of the uh, George Floyd tragedy and these protests that continue. Uh, So that is going to be in part a large part of what our show is about today. We're going to talk about what uh, we're hearing and um, that's not all we'll be doing. We'll also be getting you caught up on the rest of the news around the league, however meager it may be. Uh, And also we continue our wheel of teams series with the Tennessee Titans and Paul Kuharski who's covered that team uh, for years. Uh, What, Greg, have you been hearing this week what's been resonating with you uh, on the NFL front or otherwise? So much to choose from, but I think I got to start with Drew Brees' comments today because they're the freshest and they're getting, you know, the uh, most vociferous reaction, I think, from players, from media, from from a lot of people uh, that, you know, he was on a a Yahoo Finance show and said... um, you know, that he, w- he would not be supporting uh, any teammates that, you know, peacefully protested, um, you know, police brutality by taking a knee before um, before games. And it's just interesting because, look, he's been saying, you know, Drew Brees said this a lot. He said it in 2017. 
he's saying it now. Um, but I think the world's changed a little bit since then, or, or reactions have changed since then. And you can see, you know, Saints fans are are kind of having gallows humor with it, being just like, okay, Jameis Winston's our quarterback now, you know, and just every everyone, you know, like 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 it would take a lot for Drew Brees to lose New Orleans, and and I don't necessarily think that's going to happen I, in the long run. But that but that the anger Adam for these these comments are uh, are real, and uh, he's already now talked to the ESPN reporter uh, about it and trying to trying to explain what what he's talking about. But uh, it, it just I think it's it, fair. I think it's fair to hear what breeze had to say and and give the the context that he context he was set up on by the uh person interviewing him that it's expected or a lot of people now assume there will be more kneeling and what uh, what breeze uh, had to say exactly let's listen in well I, i will i will never agree with anybody um disrespecting the flag of the united states of america or our country um let me let me just tell you what i see or what i feel when the national anthem is played, and when I look at the the flag of the United States, I envision my two grandfathers who fought for this country during World War II, one in the Army and one in the Marine Corps, both risking their lives to protect our country and to try to make our country and this world a better place. So every time I stand with my hand over my heart, looking at that flag and singing the national anthem, that's what I think about. He added that to him, the civil rights movement uh, in the 1960s, to him, that represents the flag as well. And I just I guess the one thing that listening to him speak on it and Mark, I'm curious your thoughts on this as well. Listening to him speak on it, I think there is a line of delineation that should be drawn. And I and with social media the way it is, that doesn't always happen. There's a there's a rush to judgment. And to pull one quote and say, "Okay, he's on, he's on the wrong side of history with this," and I'm not necessarily saying I agree with Breeze, uh, but I also think there's a difference between what Breeze is saying there and some of the rhetoric that was connected to with our own President Trump uh, and um, other people that said that Ka- Colin Kaepernick, using him as obviously the most prominent example of all this. Uh, that he was wrong and was un-American and unpatriotic. I don't think that's what Breeze is saying. I think what he's saying is he comes from a family where the flag and patriotism is ingrained in him. Uh, and when people kneel in support of or in protest of injustice, social injustice and police brutality, he doesn't think it's the right forum, but he also doesn't think it's an act of gross um uh, you know, traitorous or treasonous act. He said it was disrep- he said it was disrespecting the flag, though. I mean, he was pretty clear on that. And I think Michael Thomas's right. response is is um, instructive, which is just we don't care if you agree. And basically, he's taking a time where I think a lot of people are saying just just listen to what the people are saying. No one's saying you have to do anything. No one's saying that you um, have to have to kneel. We're, but we're asking you to listen to us what we're actually saying when we kneel. And he's saying, you know, no, that's that's a disrespect of the flag. And it's just it's just a moment where, you know, if you say those things, Drew Brees knows Drew Brees knows, I think, on some level what the reaction is going to be. He's smart enough to know that. I think, you know, for me, I think we're all of the age where we had grandfathers who fought um, in wars and we haven't had to do that. And so I, I don't take that part of it lightly. but. Um, it's a disconnect 
because I think it's, uh, you know, how many players at this point have eloquently described why um, Colin Kaepernick and other players were kneeling um, and separating it from this um, really a a whole separate movement of like, don't disrespect the flag. That's, I just don't see that that is at all what the heart of the matter is with Colin Kaepernick. It's, it's much closer to what people are protesting about um, right now um, and injustices that have, you know, raged on in this country um, up to 400 plus years. So I, I think it's, it's, um, I, I have no problem with Drew Brees uh, taking some heat for this because I just think he's missing, he's missing that side of it. Or he didn't, if to your point, Dan, if we don't, if we don't have the full wide view of what he had to say about this, um, I don't think he seems to have connected with um, it, at this point, something that should be very clear to every player and most fans And there, you know, even on our last show, when we brought up Colin Kaepernick, I mean, I'm getting tweets from people saying, you guys are clowns. You don't know what you're talking about. And it's, we're a very divided country. It's to me, and, and it's similar to the Vic Fon, the Vic Fangio comments, um, which when I first, I saw them literally as he, you know, I saw them being tweeted out as he was saying them. And, and you just knew it was going to get some pushback um, from players. And in those comments, do we have those queued up? Either way, they were they were you about got those, him. Ricky. But basically, he you know he doesn't. Let's see hear from Paggio on this. Yeah, I think our problems in the NFL along those lines are minimal. Um, we're a league of uh, meritocracy. You you earn what you get. You get what you earn. Um, I don't see um, racism at all in the NFL. I don't see discrimination in the NFL. You know, we live in a great atmosphere, like I alluded to earlier. We're lucky. We, we all live together, joined as one for one common goal, and we all intermingle and mix tremendously. You know, if the society reflected an NFL team, We'd all be great. Mm. I, and, and I think there's a lot we would probably agree with. Uh, it, there's some of that we would agree with in that. But I, I think it is a time when you're when you're talking like this, that you're you have to be aware of the larger picture. And I think people are learning on the fly and they're learning on the fly with with microphones in their faces. But it doesn't surprise me that a number of players immediately um, started tweeting about a, a how the leagues you know treated Kaepernick. B like putting out you know okay Pete Carroll's got four different Carrolls on his staff. Is that is that a mer- meritocracy? Colin Kaepernick's not in the league. <laughs> and then more than anything, the league you know literally is admitting they have a massive problem at almost every level of the league that they're trying to correct. Um, you know with hiring practices. So so w- when when you say when he says that, I don't think he has any malice to it. And he, he probably has his own experience of how he came up through the system, but that doesn't really excuse you from seeing like the larger picture. And it, and it's, it's probably a risk and a concern because you're going to have players that are going to hear that, or you're going to have teammates at Drew Brees that are going to hear what he says, and they're going to be turned off from that. And then, and then, yeah, like you said, hopefully they have a, a dialogue and they figure it out. He has, yeah, that's a, that's the t- exactly the type of thing he needs to address that with the team and, and, and explain where he was coming from because he de- he definitely it comes off as a guy as a coaching lifer who took a long time to get a head coaching job. He, I think he's looking at it from through that lens in terms of meritocracy, earning the gig. But he's talking from a position as a head coach where there's four coaches of color 
head coaches of color out of 32. So that is just not going to go over well. Um, maybe it's different. And um, on the side of the um, roster when it's uh, making uh, strides to find a roster spot, but it just, it doesn't, it does. That's not such a great uh, soundbite when you look at the, the makeup of the league. Can I throw one out where I thought someone um, made ground in a positive way? Please. Yeah, let's hear it. Yeah, I'd point to, to Bill O'Brien, who, um, you know, on this show for football matters, uh, takes a lot of arrows from um, members of this podcast. And, you know, <laughs> I, I think rightly so. But but Bill O'Brien, the man, and I think that, um, you know, I think this was this was definitely made very uh, lucid and clear during Hard Knocks. Um, I think his heart came through in his in his comments. And I, I would just say, go read it for yourself, because um, it, there's there's an interview he did. He has some he has some. Uh, other quotes out there as well. I think this is the the counter of wanting to understand, um, acknowledging that you um, have shortcomings in understanding what some of your players deal with as men, um, what their families deal with, what their children deal with. But Bill O'Brien, um, to me, uh, I, I just thought that's 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 the be- the most heartfelt um, approach you can take is you want to listen and learn, um, and find a way to take action versus, um, where you can. And I think a head coach has an incredible, um, platform to take action. And, and he seems, um, you know, wedded to that task. I would say also, um, and it is not the same issue, but Bill O'Brien has a, a special needs child and, um, in a different way. And we have some of that, um, in our house too. When you raise a special needs child, you, uh, understand, someone who is starting from a, a different place than others um, who in this case probably look just like them. So it's a different issue, but uh, you have to foster and care for that person's journey and set expectations and um, use a lot of love. And Bill O'Brien, if you, if you go back to that hard knock series, I mean, I saw him as a completely different human being when you went into his house and saw what his family looked like and what um, the challenges were there as parents. And so I just think naturally, um, you know, for all the, for all the uh, questionable trades and all the other stuff that Bill O'Brien <laughs> might do inside the team building, um, I, he's a good man. I think he, he's someone who's trying. I don't know what else you can ask um, of these coaches right now than to try and to find a way to take action. And he, and he got like a really strong response immediately from, from his players, including Michael Thomas, not, not the Michael Thomas, you know, from New Orleans, but one who's kind of been around the league, but uh, has been a very vocal um, voice on police brutality over the years. And and he said he appreciated, and I've seen that in a few spots, like Sean McVay, um, talked about how emote, you know, they took Monday off and then they spoke to the team and, but mostly listened. And it was, you know, a hundred people on a zoom class. And you know, he says it was extremely emotional. And the, and the player's response from that was, was really positive that they feel like they're being heard. And I think that's, that's all any, you know, that's all the play, you know, you, you think you're looking for as an organization to move forward. It's such a unique time in it. And it's dub and it's added, unique you know because they're all in their houses they're all on zoom classes like we are in separate right now so it's just it's it's disorienting but i i think the coaches that that have kind of need to handle it well like like any organization needs to handle it well right now and the nfl is no different that's steve weiss who was on our show monday he made a comment along the lines of if if the coaches don't address this stuff and communicate with the players they're going to lose the team and that's exactly what a smart good communicator and a good head coach like Sean McVay is doing. Uh, Pete Carroll's another guy 
who uh, he was on a podcast, the Ringers Flying Coach podcast with Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich and Colin Kaepernick, who obviously is a towering figure in this conversation. Um, Carol, I thought, said some really good things about Kaepernick and and where he all fits in on this. Let's let's listen to uh, Pete Carroll. Well, I think that there was a, a moment in time that, that a young man captured and he, he took a stand on something, you know, figuratively he took the knee, but he, he stood up for, for something he believed in. And uh, uh, what a, what an extraordinary moment it was that he, he was willing to take. But it, it, what happened from the process is it, is it elevated an awareness from people that just took everything away from what the statement was all about. And it just got, tugged and pulled and, 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 and ripped apart. And the whole mission of what he, with the statement was, that was such a beautiful, it's still the statement we're making right today is that, that, that we're, we're not, we're not protecting our people. We're not looking after one another. We're not making the right choices. We're not following the right process to, to bring people to justice when, when actions are taken, you know? And, and uh, so I think it was a, a, a big sacrifice in the sense that, that, you know, that, that a young man makes, but that's, those are the courageous moments that some guys take, and, and you know we owe a tremendous amount to him. You can't listen to Carol and not at least think about like how closely tied they were to Kaepernick, and it and it's and it is a, it's a tricky spot for the entire NFL. I, I think back to uh, to Tuesday because Eric Reed, you know, they were doing the blackout tweets. Some of the teams did that where they they you know they posted the black square and we don't need to get into all that but Eric Reed you know retweeted that the old 49er teammate of Colin Kaepernick um and just said like it's blackball Tuesday it's not blackout Tuesday and listening to Carol it's hard not to think about how close he said they were to signing Kaepernick a, a few different times and it didn't happen and they're still you know employing my guy Geno Smith and, and we don't need to get into all the, re, the all the reasons for that or whatever. But I think there's a lot a big segment that's going to listen to someone like Pete Carroll and said, "Well, sign him then." You know, like then then like that's the fair. statement you can make. That's just fair. Are all kidding about Geno Smith aside? Right. I mean, is there what's the upgrade there? What's uh, player wise is, is Colin right. Kaepernick? I guess here's the thing: we talked about that with Steve. Also, this is going to be the third full season Kaeper- Kaepernick's been out of the league. So there's another element with him now. It used to be just like, is he better than all the backups and some of the starters? Now enough, there's been this, enough distance where he's been out of the league long enough, and that I mean, that's Alden, another Alden thing Alden working Smith against him. Out four years and. You know, John Riggins was out like four years and came back at 35. So that it is it is a factor for sure. But I, I think at least for now, he's young enough. It, not that I expect it doesn't help his cause. I guess is it, what I'm it saying. does not. It does not help his cause. Yeah. No. All right, boys, let us spin into other NFL news. Kind of news, as we call it. Uh, let's start uh, with uh, Roger Goodell announcing that there will be no traveling for training camps or joint practices. So all camps are going to be held at their at the respective team facilities and joint practices, which are the Ravens and, I don't know, the Browns get together for a day or two of practices. That kind of stuff is not going to happen this year. That's become more and more popular in recent years. So that will be different. So uh, they are still, Greg, kind of have an eye on training camp going on as scheduled, but it will be different than past years. Yeah, it'll be It'd be really different for teams like the Steelers who have been going to the same college, I think for over 40 years, 50 years, something like since the 60s. So uh, 
a lot of teams already practice at home. That's not going to be a big difference, but the the non-joint practices shows it's going to be different. And, and sort of as part of this, I just want to throw out that Sean McDermott today, uh, Wednesday said, you know, kind of wondered about whether the preseason's going to really happen. And, and it just, and, and let, let it be public that there's been conversations about that, like whether that's going to be just because if you think about it, like there hasn't been any players on the field all off season. Now we're showing up, you know, for a different sort of training camp and are the, are they going to feel like the players are ready to play a game within two weeks of, of showing up like that? It, it's just something to keep an eye on. It's nothing official, but it wouldn't surprise me it just is logical that the preseason might get knocked down. They were trying to knock it down anyway. So it, it kind of makes sense. I wonder if it paves the way, like how you're seeing now with certain businesses, Facebook, a notable example, after they saw that, Oh, our operation can still work and, and thrive uh, business as usual with everyone working from home. If it takes an event like this, a life event to show what, well, not only do we not need four preseason games, we don't need three or maybe even two or maybe even one. Maybe this is something that is a catalyst for change in a more extreme fashion. We'll have to see. And since we're talking about the schedule and everything, I just I saw that the NBA has kind of come together on a proposal for resuming their season. And under the proposal, the NBA finals, their championship series would be in October, which is just wild. It's customarily in June, of course, uh, which would put the NBA playoffs and the NFL regular season head to head for the first time ever. So you want to talk about something that's different than past years. That is very different. Mm. Sign me up. Then what? You start the next NBA season like 12 days later in November? Yeah, that's what I was wondering the same thing. I don't know how that how that all works, but I think um, I, I think that they're going to adjust, yeah. They're obviously adjusting that too that they Or they find out, wait a minute, we can steal ratings away from the NFL and and you talk about Dan, you know, workplace shifting. The season begins in August every year. Well, I think, right up against the Super Bowl in the playoffs. See you later, Titans. There's been a, a push, I think, or a thought in the NBA that they could own the summer more in and end more in August. Not to go up uh, directly with the NB- with the, the NFL, but kind of wrap up as as the preseason's on, and this might be a way to do that. That they just push back the NBA season a couple months. It makes a lot of sense. Every, like I, the less against yeah. football, the better. You start in December, or January, and then you know it makes sense. Yep. Everybody knows, unless you're a diehard NBA fan, most NBA fans kind of view the the Christmas slate as game of games as the time where you start to plug in on the NBA. So that would make a lot of sense. The NBA season starts Christmas Day with three premier games and then you start rolling. But hell, you know, who the hell are we to judge what's going on over in the NBA? In other news, uh, Ian Rappaport has uh, has reported or is saying that the salary cap in the NFL could go down in 2020. This is all tied, of course, to the um, COVID-19 and the idea that there may not be a season. If there is a season, there might not be any gate and no fans in the, in the stands. There's a very good chance of that happening. And as a result of that, spending uh, would be less and the cap would go down for the first time in a long time. Adam Schefter over at ESPN had uh, floated this a couple weeks back as well. So that also, and think of that, you got to keep that in mind, Greg, with things like Patrick Mahomes contract, Jamal mm. Adams contract. These teams have to be wary that they can't just assume the cap's going to be $200 million next year because it might be far south. Of that. I think it's at 196 right now. 
And it's it's a huge flip of what was conventional wisdom, which is that these TV deals are coming up and that the cap is going to explode. And I, I think NFL owners probably expect that in the long run. But you're right, Dan, in terms of the next year or two, we'll see these TV deals being up. I mean, it's a, you know, it, it's a different world and trying to predict financially how it's going to happen. Like e- even the NFL can take a hit. Yeah, I mean, the most real thing is money uh, to these leagues, all these leagues. And, I, you know, I, all this stuff's in flux. And I, and I realize that there's, um, you know, the, the, the joke of the week is coronavirus is over and it vanished away. But, um, you know, we don't know that either. And I, all of this is just speculation. Uh, it, the one thing we do know is that it's very likely that even if corona has suddenly vanished into the ether, that would be magical. Um, that <laughs> fans of the stands is not not going to be happening probably two months from now. It would probably be scattered fans or or a certain amount later in the year. But um, the hit financially will be uh, real. It's sneaking up and here. Camp is like seven or eight weeks away. It's really yes, not it that is. far. It's not that far. I, mean, I feel it. I feel it coming. And in, in a normal world, this would be the time where we're nice and loose, getting ready to go on our vacations and get some time <laughs> away. Not for you, sir. Not no. for you. Not Finally in the news, I'm going to read this directly from, uh, I suppose he's a pro wrestling writer for ESPN.com, Tim Fioravante. After, fi- after his 58 days of holding gold, Ron Grinka- Rob Gronkowski's championship reign in the WWE has officially come to an end. WWE aired a vignette Monday that showed Gronkowski walking into his backyard in Foxborough, Massachusetts. Our truth that's our hyphen truth, who has been the most prolific holder of the WWE 24-7 title since its inception in May 2019, won the belt for the how many times, Mark? Twelve. 36th time by disguising himself as a landscaper and blindsiding Gronk for the pin. And uh, if everyone's confused right now and you're, you're thinking about what, oh, how, how could that be? How could that be? The primary attraction of the WWE 24-7 championship is that it is to be defended anywhere at any time without warning. Gronk won the title at WrestleMania 36 in April. Please. I mean, uh, anytime. it's a, it's a anywhere. It's a disgrace to the legitimacy of this award that uh, of the belt that it can just be taken away on TikTok. When I was a kid, you know, these belts meant something. Right. And this this is really it's really sad. Where have you gone, Tito Santana, with the intercontinental belt strapped around your waist? I'm with you guys. So if you don't have TikTok, it's over. You don't even know about Gronk if you know if you're. Well, they aired it. It looks like on their telecast. Well, Ricky, you're Um, on TikTok, aren't you? Did you see this? Plug. I am. Um, I didn't see that one specifically, <laughs> but yeah, I am. I am on TikTok. You're not, you're not Did you see him win any of his 35 other belts? Yeah. Did you I see Ron Killings win any of his 35 other belts? Uh, yeah, you lost me at wrestling. Like, okay. I don't care. I mean, the, the hits against Ricky continue to pile up. You know, always. Always. Like, Brady, I, here I am Brock just sitting here, that. like, listening to you guys. Like, I'm being nice. <laughs> I'm not live tweeting your dumb thoughts. <laughs> and now you lose you. your title. Uh, and I'm with you guys. The WWF uh, championship belt, the intercontinental title, oh, and the noble. tag team belts. That's it. Yes. Noble. That's it. Yep. Let's calm down. Yep. A noble That's time. what's happening big, in the big news. Gronk, by the way. You know, there's all this talk of like, oh, Gronk's going to be a big star afterwards. Like, what a wacky personality. Really? Uh, I don't know. 
I think people get, are going to get tired of Gronk's acting or doing just about anything pretty quickly. It's like one of those Didn't things. Did I say that on this podcast two years ago? Probably. You, probably. Well, you were right. You were well, right. I mean, the, uh, public that's finds, the public finds Peyton Manning funny. So <laughs> you like, who should we do a nine part doc about Gronk? It's like, what? He's, uh, you know, he's like, uh, he's, it's like a plain bowl of cereal, please. Not yeah, much you weren't going saying this when he was on your favorite team. I just I got to point he's that. He's the out. greatest tight end of all time, but you don't need to, you know, keep. He's not going to like take over Hollywood. You were right about that, Dan. <laughs> That's what's happening in the news. <laughs> we'll never see this run again, Jim. Brady's pass is intercepted and returned for a touchdown by Logan Ryan, the former Patriots. Could have started you can have for Tennessee Tannehill. Looks for the home run ball. Separation. Khalif Raymond pulls it in. Touchdown, Titans. Wow. A big one. 45 yards. Direct snap. Henry. Jump pass. Oh, trickery. Corey Davis. Touchdown, Tennessee. The dazzle for the Titans. The Tennessee Titans are the next team up. In the wheel of teams on the Around the NFL podcast, the Titans 9-7 and seven last year, second in the AFC South, but then won two playoff games, including knocking off the Patriots in Foxborough, then shocking the Ravens on the road. Their season ended in the AFC title game against the Chiefs, but even that was looking very good for a bit. And now the Titans are back looking to take that next step. And to join us on this conversation uh, is Paul Kaharski, who has been covering this team uh, down in Nashville for a long time. And you could uh, check out his writings at paulkaharski.com. And he talks on Midday 180 down there. Paul, welcome to the Around the NFL podcast. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. How are we doing? Good, good. We're good. We're good. Uh, Paul, so this is an interesting situation right now because the the Titans, they had this great run in the playoffs. They decided to essentially bring back the core of the team. This is not a team that's had a huge amount of turnover. They get Derrick Henry on the franchise tag. They have uh, Ryan Tannehill in the fold. But how, how many times have we seen the team that thinks they're one step away uh, keeping it all together and then it doesn't work out? It, was there any concern to you in terms of team building this offseason that they maybe were a little overconfident with last year's team? Or do you think this is the right path to take, basically taking another crack at it with this core? Yeah, I don't know what the other course was. I mean, to me, the other course was was Tom Brady, probably. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, it seems not to be a long term course if you were going to take a run with Tom Brady. Obviously, Mike Vrabel, very close friends with him. John Robinson, the GM, also with Patriot ties uh, and and knows him. But it seems like Tannehill, with what he did which was really uh, incredible. Uh, I would expect he regresses somewhat, but he was the right guy for this team, and I think he earned himself a contract. Um, you know, it's a run-based, uh, defense-based football team in a lot of ways, um, and I think Vrabel has proved himself to be a pretty good coach so far. Players are developing under him and his coaching staff. Um, the division's not great, and um, I, I think they've got stuff to build on. And rather than look at uh, the Chiefs as the main obstacle and say, 
what Denver and Oakland are saying, hey, we're going to try to match them on offense. The Titans said, hey, we got to that AFC championship game against them. Uh, We were in it for a while. We're going to continue to try to build what we are and see if we can't hang with them and ultimately beat them like we did in the regular season um, as we are with a, with a ball control offense and by being better at defense, trying to stop them with a different identity instead of trying to keep up with them with their identity. Well, one follow-up to that, I mean, you look at Tannehill last year, and if you wanted to be a nitpicker, you could say looking at his career from a broader sense, it was a bit of an aberration in terms of you know his metrics, a lot of his stats. Um, do they think in-house uh, the way their offense is set up that they're going to get um, Ryan Tannehill doing the same thing two years in a row. And I guess as maybe that um, Jaguars beach lady once said, you know, take it to the limit uh, just as they did a year ago. Well, I, about know, that lady. I, I don't think they're going to come out and publicly say, listen, we're not going to get uh, 9.6 yards per attempt and uh, a completion percentage over 70%. Um, the He was only the third guy in history to, to top those numbers with Sammy Baugh and, uh, and uh, Montana, I think. The only guy really ever to have numbers that high in those two categories. But even if you regressed a little bit in both of those, it's, it, it, those are still some, some uh, very, very good numbers on a team that's based on the play action, based on, on Derrick Henry with an ascending A.J. Brown, um, with an ascending Jonu Smith. Um, so I, I think – you know, do they look at that and say this is the most stability that we've had at quarterback in a long time? Is he surrounded by the best cast of characters that he's been surrounded by um, mm. in his career? If we can keep him healthy with this offensive line, which was also on the upswing at the end of the year, uh, I, I think it's it's not unreasonable for them to expect uh, it to be as good. I, I'd have the question maybe a little bit more about Derrick Henry just because he had 386 carries. Um, and we know how guys after 386 carries tend to do the year after. Um, and and so uh, I think that's part of why uh, Darrington Evans is the third-round draft pick. He's a change of pace. Deion Lewis was a big disappointment, uh, particularly at his price tag, and they need to get more out of um, the, the different running back, the third-down running back. They need to get more out of the running back in the passing game uh, than they were out of Deion Lewis. And to me, that's the the one new dynamic they're getting um, next year, this this coming season, offensively, uh, as compared to what they got last year. Yeah, you mentioned Vrabel being, you know, you think he's been a pretty good coach, and, and I agree. And I think John Robinson's been a, a pretty good general manager. If you really look at the, the picks he's made since he's arrived, he's got a vision. It's like they are the, we look great coming off the bus team. You know, like all of our guys are bigger than the prototypes at their position. And it, and it's worked. Henry kind of symbolizes that in a way, even though, you know, he's been there for four years. Do you think this is Henry's last year though? I think it's going to be one of the big decisions of the, of Robinson Vrabel era. And, and I know it's going to depend on, you know, what he does somewhat this year, but let's say he takes, he takes a little step back, but he's still solid. Do you, do you think they put the tag on him kind of with the idea of the Cowboys back in the day with DeMarco Murray? Like, let's get our use out of him and let's not give him that Todd Gurley contract that the Rams got stuck in. I could see them tagging him again next year. 
mm, uh, yeah. and, and milking it out that way. I could see a three-year deal if he'd take it where where he gets the insurance of getting the money up front so he's not completely undone by by an injury um, where, you know, it would really be built on, on the two franchise tags. Um, but, yeah, I – I, I'm hard pressed to see them uh, because they're intelligent football people. Um, no matter how central he's been to the effort and may be to the effort going forward, getting caught up in one of these long-term contracts, uh, second contracts for a running back, particularly Greg, one that, that um, is not a third down guy. He's not an every down guy. Right. He's, and, he's, and so he's, you, he's an really anomaly. a two thirds contract running back. He's made some plays catching passes, but he's not a natural pass catcher. You know, it, it's a, been a surprise screen where even the catch doesn't look good, but then he finds space <laughs> and he can he can take off and run away from people. He's just not a natural pass catcher. And to me, if, if you are going to spend money on a running back, he better be a three-down guy who yep. can really do some things in the pass game. And I can understand uh, a Christian McCaffrey, whose contract, by the way, isn't as good as it looked on uh, on initial reporting, right? Um, Derrick Henry's taken on a leadership mantle. He's a hell of a player, but there are limitations there, and history says a lot. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think you can go against the grain on that. I really don't. And you you, you can understand why Derrick Henry's unhappy. You know, sure. a lot of these guys, the top level guys, they don't want to get tagged for obvious reasons. But he hasn't but expressed kind of a, any unhappiness, by the way. He he signed well, it. He's going to be there. Any unhappiness has been behind the scenes. He said, I'm I'm coming. He signed it pretty well, quickly. Maybe he maybe he just understands the way this operates and in his position because he's damned if he do, damned if he don't. If he has another like monster 2000 yard total season and he ha- touches the ball 400 times and he wins a rushing title, that will be used against him because he'll be more quote unquote wear on the tires. He'll get tagged he again, a, like yeah. Paul said. If he has a bad season, big like, oh, he's already wearing down. Done. He gets like he gets done in there too. So it's like where where is the the happy medium that leads to him getting the deal that he wants? I don't know if it exists. He Stop doesn't talking. have the tread from the earlier years. You mentioned Demarco Murray. He True. he he was a backup to Demarco Murray. From for his first season, for much of his second season, then Lafleur was determined to give the ball to Deion Lewis for much of his third season. He only took off really the last quarter of his third season and last year. So he had huge usage last year, but before that, he was not getting used up. So if you look at his usage to this point, it's not like a lot of those backs we're talking about, but still, we're talking second contract running back, and we know how those go. You know, I, like I th- about a year ago, if someone said, who is Arthur Smith? I would have thought maybe he's a house painter, um, a gas station attendant. I don't know. Just <laughs> Butler, anyone in the America heir to the FedEx <laughs> fortune. Sure. Exactly. Right. right? Yeah. But it's, uh, you know, I look that. at that offense and, and what how much how much of his fingerprints are on that versus, you know, we just we have a team identity and you're just sort of going to you know, help finesse that team identity. I mean, is he, um, I just, I'd like to know more about who he is, what kind of coach he is, how innovative you see him to be. Yeah. I mean, I think he deserves a lot more credit than, uh, than simply plugging it in because uh, he got a lot more out of it than, than Matt LaFleur, who's, uh, you know, uh, the genius who got the Ooh, Green Bay job after, point. after one year. LaFleur and, heat. 
And uh, I mean, I like Matt LaFleur a great deal, but Art Smith came in. flamethrower. His, his only new uh, new piece really was A.J. Brown, who was above and beyond any reasonable expectation. And the Titans have gone something like 29 drafted receivers getting really limited returns. It was really funny because last year uh, leading into the Patriots game, one of the writers up there wrote, you know, why can't the Patriots develop a receiver like the Titans have developed A.J. Brown? <laughs> and, and for the entire existence of the Titans in Tennessee, the, their failure to develop a wide receiver has been an issue. They finally developed mm-hmm. one, and the Patriots are being well, the writing, why can't they do it like, like they do it in Tennessee? It hurts because Nikhil Harry, in many ways, is kind of a similar profile, and people yeah. thought that the Pats might take A.J. Brown, and that one could haunt them uh, for a long time. But y- you're right. Corey Davis is a top-five pick. He's entering his fourth year. and uh, Didn't get know, his option. Really and, and that's a, that much. one point on on, uh, on on Robinson, who you complimented, who has been very good, but he's got two first-rounders in Conklin, who he didn't exercise a fifth-round, uh, fifth-year option and didn't deserve it. And Corey Davis, who he didn't exercise a fifth round option, and he didn't deserve it. So it hasn't. He's gotten better, Robinson, but those two early ones uh, haven't really panned out as they should have. And on Arthur Smith, I think he's he's pretty damn creative. I mean, he struggled early, but he was missing his left tackle and Taylor Lewan. He was keeping in somebody like Adam Humphreys to help out there. It was all a mess. Mariota was not delivering, and once Tannehill came in, they really found some stuff and. The Titans, I've always, you know, I've covered them since the beginning, since Houston. Hmm. Every time you thought it was going to be an offensive football team, it always reverted back to a defensive <laughs> football team. And here was a team that was scoring 30 damn points a week. And, right. Uh, you know, something I'd been waiting for forever. And Arthur Smith was the architect of that, and he deserved all the credit. We're going to talk to him here in, uh, in 25 minutes for the first time this offseason about Topical. what's next. Nice job, Mark, setting up with the question. It all connected there. Mark Sessler, ladies and gentlemen. The answer was pretty damn good, too. (laughs) The answer was even better. But you mentioned Jack Conklin, and that's that's kind of the one other thought. Uh, Thinking about this offense, Derrick Henry, obviously so incredibly important to it. Some people point to Conklin leaves. He was blowing the holes open. Isaiah uh, Isaiah Wilson comes in as the uh, first-round pick. Is that going to be a potential big issue for this team with Conklin out the door? The way you describe Conklin makes me think maybe not. Well, I don't think in the run game. I mean, Dennis Kelly could start the first couple games because of all this missed time and how long it takes to get the offensive line cohesive and all of that. But Wilson as a run blocker, I don't think is is uh, a big concern. He'll he'll maul people. Uh, you know, maybe he's going to miss occasionally as he grows into it. Pass pass protection, I think, would be a bigger concern there. And I think they'll help him out. But quite frankly, they helped Conklin out even in his uh, All Pro rookie season um, with tight ends and and the like. And Darrington Evans, who I mentioned, the one thing Deion Lewis did do well was pass protect. And so we'll have to see how Evans does uh, at, at that job. But I think um, it's a similar similar replacement, maybe potentially with more upside uh, than Conklin, who I think you know is going to be one of those guys. Like he's a he's a good player, but he goes to Cleveland on that contract, and they expect uh, the second coming. You're killing and, Mark here. He's a Browns fan. Well, and, you know, you're and, and killing me. He, 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 
And when he misses a block there, everybody's going to say, how could this guy that we paid all this money not make every single block? I thought he was supposed to be the next greatest right tackle in history. And, and the whole context changes for him. It's the Nate Solder corollary. You know, well, you pay big money not, expecting not a superstar extreme. and you don't get right. it. If, not if, if he's Nate Solder, then the Browns are in, in deep in deep trouble. This was a very typical Titans conversation, by the way. We haven't mentioned the defense once. The defense is always just like, okay, the Titans have a defense. Defense I, in, should be <laughs> good. I mean, I think Jeffrey Simmons, uh, you know, was brought in to replace Jarrell Casey. They got out of a lot of money. Jarrell Casey, nine great years. But starting to fade a touch, you would have wanted them to get more than a seventh rounder, but they got out of under $11 million. Good secondary. Everybody automatically thinks that money's Jadavian Clowney's, and maybe ultimately it will be. Mm. Do you Kevin think they might actually pursue Clowney? I do, uh, I, I, but he's going to have to come down in price, and the physical's going to have to be you know, good. So those two concerns, I think we're operating entirely on Clowney's timetable not on the fans' timetable and not maybe on – I don't think the team really cares about a guy missing Zoom meetings at this stage. Not to the degree fans do anyway. Um, but I think Jeffrey Simmons will be good in there. I think the Titans have a pair of good inside linebackers. They've got this this quilt of pass rushers instead of one guy who's going to go get you 10, and they just can't find that guy. So maybe Vic Beasley's uh, – resurrected by Vrabel, who's who's a good hands-on coach, and it's a prove-it year. Uh, if he proves it, that'll, that'll be something. If he doesn't, they're patchworking it again. Secondary is good. Logan Ryan was a very good player here, but Mike Vrabel has said that slot position is running vertical routes now, and Logan Ryan was mm. very much a horizontal guy, and they need to be more vertical in that. Dory Jackson will be in there some. Christian Fulton will be in there some. Kevin Byard and Kenny Vaccaro, underrated duo. Uh, at, a good at secondary. State. It's very similar to the Patriots where it's like a good secondary. It's smart, and you're not really sure where the one-on-one pass rushers are because nine, $9 million dollars for Vic Beasley could look like a disaster because he's, he's done very little most years. Yeah, they're counting on that one year where he had a big year that they could get that out of him. Um, and listen, every uh, you know, I, I want them to find the next Javon Kurse, the next Kyle Vandenbosch, but w- where do you find those guys? You know, one was a scrap heap guy that was a miraculous recovery, and I wrote the day when I was working at the Tennessean that they drafted Javon Kurse. I remember my lead that day was there's one guy in this draft that could solve the Titans' problem. Too bad Javon Kurse isn't going to be there at number 16. Ooh. And so, you know, they lucked into both of those guys. Well, how often do you luck into a premier pass rush? You mentioned the Tennessee, and we'll, we'll sign off with this, Paul, and thank you for joining us. Uh, back in January, the t- Tennessee, in which I understand has undergone a lot of changes in recent years, uh, wrote an article interviewing uh, a member of the Around the NFL podcast about a derisive nickname for the Titans, uh, oh. Was that you? Tunes. And, uh, you know, Paul. We thought this was the elephant in the room here. Paul Paul took exception to it and uh, fired off a few slings on Twitter. I returned fire, but it wasn't all out warfare. I'd call it a little brush fire. And I would just (laughs) like to say, Paul, with uh, in this time where we strive for unity in this country, the fact that you could come on the show right now and we could talk it out and not be, you know, wanting to kill each other. That's progress. That's progress. Look, my I have a first rule of comedy. Be funny. Okay? <laughs> and, and so I don't think Tytoons is funny. 
(laughs) Right. So that's my objection. Like, if you want to take shots at the Titans, come up with a funny name and call them a funny name. I don't think Titans is funny, and I guarantee don't think the Tennessean, which has gone to hell and sucks, (laughs) should be writing about you calling them the Titans and you making a declaration that they're now worthy of you not calling them your dumb nickname is newsworthy. Look at you still think about it. That's how bad the Tennessean is. Now the Tennessean has just done wonders covering uh, the riots and the vandalism here. And on that, they're doing well. In the sports section, where Titans to Titans is news, nobody should be paying a nickel for that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, Paul, I think think you're right. And... uh Okay, the the, that's a wrap. He thinks I'm right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think you're right. And uh, I will say that you should listen to our podcast for a little more context in the future. It was more a, a way to uh, rile up the Titans fans, and it certainly worked. Not not a piece of a comedic genius writing, I will say that. So I will I'm not saying you were that. wrong, ultimately. Uh, it was just, <laughs> uh, but th- I again, feel we are a lot of progress here. Yeah, we are in lockstep on this. All right, Paul, thank oh, you so oh, much. Oh, good-spirited. I enjoyed this conversation, which obviously it was fun. you know a lot about the Titans. <laughs> and uh, you can follow Paul Kowarski on Twitter, at Paul Kowarski NFL. And good luck in this Arthur Smith uh, Zoom call or whatever it's called. Oh, yeah, it's high pressure. It's high pressure to ask a question that gets a good answer that I then see everywhere. That's a lot of of fun. (laughs) Tough situation on the beat. All right, Paul, thank you. Great to be with you. I enjoyed it. Appreciate it. All right, see you later. Um, Here's my thinking on it. I wasn't initially going to – I was going to feel it out, and he seemed like a very serious guy at first, and I was like, ooh, maybe I'm going to steer clear on it. But then as we got to know Paul and talk to him, it, it seemed like something that would be good to bring up. And uh, we had a nice conversation. That was nice. I, I would not. I would bring him that. back. Yeah. I would, yeah. He's, he's, he's great. He's I would great. have not allowed that conversation to end. If you didn't bring it up by the end, I, I was, I was going to, it was all I was thinking about the whole time. Let's, let's see these Hansis <laughs> Kaharski fireworks. <laughs> you know, just fast forward to five years where I'm living in Nashville in a big house that, uh, I get pay half the money for and I own it. And me and Paul have the biggest Titans uh, podcast in the nation. That's what I, that's my wow. big picture. Now you're going to live in, in well, the Cutler household. I think it should be up for sale right now. There it is. It, They're got moving some room at least. Yeah. I'll just slide right in there. I'll just slide right in. All right. Uh, good stuff. That was fun. I, I just to put a button on kind of the Titans conversation here, Greg, you're doing, of course, your uh, roster reset. Projected starters. I always get those confused. There is a difference, but projected starters is your uh, calm when you went through each division. Any uh, kind of takeaways on the study of this roster that di- that didn't come up in that conversation? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think it's the pass rush, but I guess I I did bring that up. That you know they, it's a lot of what we talked about expecting what was together last year to just be better, and that's it's a little bit of a danger. But I, I, I think they're hoping that some of these young players, whether it's Harold Landry, who really hasn't done that. There's another first-round pick. I guess Robinson struggled a little more in the first round than the rest of the draft. Um, counting on Vic Beasley. Uh, I just they, It's weird because they're a, a great offensive team, but and they were scoring like 30 a game. But can you outscore teams running the ball? They did it last year because they were so efficient. Um, it, it's, it's all on Tannehill, though. I think... If Tannehill could be a top 10 quarterback again, it, it, would that be the craziest thing in the world? I don't know. Not in that offense. Seems a little bit crazy to me, but it's a little crazy, but he was like, yeah. 
you know, he was legitimately a top five quarterback yes. for half a season. So I don't, I, I, and he's never played outside of Miami before. So I guess I'm, I'm, I'm holding out hope. I think they need that though. Cause otherwise they only won nine games. I think that got a little lost in the shuffle is like, yeah, it was, it was an interesting team, but they pretty much won the exact same as the Mike Malarkey teams. You know, they, they've won nine. They're, they're like the new Jeff Fisher Rams. They win nine games every season. So I guess that takes me to my, my final two questions, guys. So, Greg, if the Titans get back to the or get back to the Super Bowl and it's been over 20 years uh, or 20 years now, it will be because of it will be because of Ryan Tannehill being the Sorry, being a, to- a different quarterback. I, I re- in a star there, quarterback. There has to be a chance because I, I think peop- there's this weird narrative because everyone just watched the two playoff games. It's like, well, all they did was run and like you can't get away with that for the season. It's like, yeah, except. When he threw the ball in the regular season, he was incredibly accurate, incredibly timely, threw the ball deep well. He did everything really well. Right. And that was as, you know, when he talked about that Chiefs win, I mean, that, that game's in the 30s. They had a lot of games in the 30s. It wasn't all, Henry. All right. And Mark, I would like one word to describe the Titans right now. Well, we discussed this off air, and it was going to be a phrase, Dan. So I'm going to give you a phrase. phrase? Yeah. All right. One and also, phrase you know, Greg just swags poetic for like three minutes. I know. I was just so going to say, I literally on. said Not like 700 word. words for some I, reason. I, I, let me well, set this you up. Got, all right. Let me, let me reset the whole table for Sessler here. Mark, give me one phrase, and you're not limited to one word or one phrase. You could d- expound after that, but to set up the conversation, give me the phrase. Okay. I want to, I'm going to do that, this the way that I plan to do it. The phrase to describe last year, which was a special year, is deep state disruptors. They did everything the NFL didn't really want them to do. 2020, the phrase is keep playing the hits. They basically running back essentially the same team. They, they haven't had a transformative offense. You can look to the rookie third down running back. You can look to uh, Vic Beasley and a few in a new right tackle. But they are hoping that what worked last year will work again. And I don't hate that idea because of who they are, who the roster is. But that doesn't always work. Yeah, I got I got a bad vibe about it. Mm. And they're still as good as they were in those two playoff wins. Like you said, they were a nine-win team. And they need everything to go right and then son to take the next leap, to take a leap there. I, I'll set over under nine and a half wins. What do you guys got? I'm going under. And I think that division's a little better than people think. Mark. I'll go under, but I think you can get into the playoffs as a nine, nine and seven or nine, six and one type team. But if you think if you Throwing think they're going to go nine and seven, <laughs> if you think they're going to go nine and seven, then how can you agree this is the right thing to do? I mean, don't, isn't the goal to build a team that gets better? Who me? I'm saying keep yeah, playing the hits. You're you I'm like not, that they keep playing the hits. I'm saying keep playing the hits because they're in their mind. You know, they made a hit record last year. They're not making a new one. They're playing the same record again, hoping to get you know, more money off of that. Right. And we'll see if that they, works. I, I suspect that that may not work is what I said. It, they they need, nine and seven is possible. Thought it was good. Okay. They need development from their young players. Cause they actually have a pretty young team overall. Like guy, Johnny Smith, the guy I think could be like an all pro and yet he hasn't, you know, he didn't totally put it together. And, and if AJ Brown gets better, I mean, here's a guy who is one of the best rookie receivers we ever, you know, we've seen in a long time. If he gets better, that that's their best hope. They're an interesting team. 
Yeah. They, yeah. That's the problem is the t- the whole yeah. Titans thing doesn't make sense because they are more interesting now. I thought that. Well, if you recall, it was always about that it, it they weren't retired. interesting. Right. It's retired. It was, it was more about that they were like kind of December. It wasn't even like they were the worst team. They were just the least interesting. But now they're, they're pretty intriguing. Titoons take a lot of heat a on lesson. this episode. It's not, I, you know, there's going to be a pro Titoons movement. I think everybody needs a history lesson on what the Titoons was. Kaharski needed it. That, that was retired. That went away the moment that Marcus Mariota finally faded into the background. And then they said, let's take a look at Tannehill. And then they changed some things up on offense, got more aggressive. And all of a sudden, it changed everything for that team. So he was more mad. That's at why the I think they're one of the more interesting. But the, my takeaway yes. from that was he was much yes. more mad at his former employer, the Tennessean, uh, than he ever was uh, at, at you personally. Yes, you were good sparring no, we partners, actually, though. Yes, we actually I think went back and forth, and then kind of landed at that at that juncture actually on Twitter back in January that he was kind of unhappy with the direction of what was in his mind one of the great papers of the region. Anyway. That was good. Good show. We'll be back on Friday on Network. How about that? The Around the NFL broadcast where we will uh, uh, talk to you about all the latest in the NFL, what's going on in and around the league. So make sure you check that out. Set your DVRs. uh, And uh, if you want to watch it live, it is Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. And uh, we'll be back with another brand new episode of the podcast. On Monday, the train keeps rolling. Stan Hansen signing off for Quiet Storm, the old boss, and Rick Hollywood in West Hollywood. Till Monday. go into your shower feeling tired but as soon as you reach for the irish spring your day immediately gets better that crisp fresh unmistakable irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses so when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it irish spring body wash and bar soap fresh green irish Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, Tanner Girl Go Shopping. Yeah, baby. 
Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.